little, little like blow the, the dust off it or something. I don't know. I'm sure it's not like that in your house. But if it is, it's okay. Today's a new day. His mercy's in you every day. Open it up. First time this year, maybe for some people. Let's do that. Let's see what God's word says to us this morning. Wow. Who thought Pastor Darren did a great job this morning? How's that offering encouragement, man? I was like, oh, yeah, he's on it. I was like, you just preach, man. Just go. You go. Keep going. That's very good. Welcome. Welcome, church. It's good to uh, be in person and it's good to be online. I know we got a bit of a crew uh, who are on holidays in Foster watching this morning. I'm, I'm saying that in faith. I can't, I'm not watching you online at the moment, but they said they were going to be there and I can't remember if it was this week or next weekend, but um, I, I'm just going to go with it. Welcome to those who are watching from Foster. I'm not sure if Cam Selby is in Clare yet, but we packed his moving truck yesterday and he's pumped to get there. So hopefully, you know, he's, he's there and settling in and I don't know, maybe he's not leaving till Monday. I could be completely wrong with all of that. So if you are online, welcome. I uh, believe in you're going to have a fantastic morning. Who, um, who had a New Year's resolution this year? At least one person. Come on. We got one person who had a New Year's resolution. Um, I, I have New Year's resolutions. I don't call them that. I just call them goals for the year. Does anyone have goals for the year? Do we have any goal-orientated people? Fantastic. I don't know if you are like me and, and, and my beautiful wife who's looking after Oakley out in the toddler room today, but that is something we highly differ on in our relationship. Um, and, and when we, we go away every year... Um, for about 10 days, we go camping. It's great. We go uh, with my brother and his family. And once uh, during that time, each, each family looks after the kids of the other family so that uh, the couple can go out on a date night, right? It's, it's great. We have little restaurants that we go to and those sorts of things. And on those date nights, you know, it's, we, like, we talk about the year, like the year ahead. And there was a season of a couple of years where, for, for Rachel and I, that particular date night would end in an argument every single time because I would be like, we're talking about our goals, babe. And she's like, I don't have goals. I don't like goals. I'm not goal-oriented. I'm like, you have to be. How can you do life without goals? Um, and, and we realised, you know, Rachel and I are, are really different in a lot of ways, and um, we've learned the value of complementing each other in those spaces, not arguing about our differences, right? There's a lot of value in having uh, complementary uh, giftings. Um, if you can see the benefit, it's easy to slip into seeing the, the differences as a negative, but it's not. It's not. And, but we would fight. We would fight about goals because she's not goal-orientated and I am. And I've been less intense over the last few years and she has pre-thought a little bit about goals so that, so that, you know, I'm not so concerned about where we're going in life. But who, who in terms of your goals, who has, has, has stayed on track so far? I mean, we're, we're coming up on three weeks into the year. Who's still on track for their goals? A couple of people. That's all right. That's all right. Who actually wrote them down? Who, who didn't just think about them? You wrote them down? The hands are getting less. This is concerning. I've got to be honest. The hands are getting less. Does this mean that we are a congregation of thinkers and not doers? No, I'm, I'm like that. I'm, I'm a thinker. I, I, I think a lot about things. And, and the executing is the harder part for me. Is anyone else like that? Executing is harder. Just thinking, coming up with a plan. That's the easy side. Anyway, I'm not speaking on any of that this morning. Just thought I'd be interested in seeing who still had their, their goals going, you know. 
School, we're into week four of our series called A Soundtrack of Summer. Um, and the whole, the whole, I guess, idea around this series is that there is, there is a correlation between the things that we listen to over and over and over again. And science will tell you this, they form, they form ruts of thinking in our mind, right? Like repetition, repetition. Like uh, I'm reading a great book at the moment uh, by Craig Groeschel. Fantastic. It's called Winning the War in Your Mind. I highly recommend it. But he, 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 used, he talks about uh, his dog that used to run around the yard, right? Run around the yard and eventually ran a rut into the backyard. You could see exactly where the dog had run. And it's like that in our minds, right? Like we, we can see by our, our life what we have allowed to be repetitious in our thinking because we see it by our attitudes and we see it by our words and we see it by our actions and if you are wondering what you have allowed to go around and around and around and around in your mind over last year then have a look at how you're living right now and if you don't like looking at yourself find someone you trust and ask them what they see about your life and it might give you some insight into the ruts that you have formed but the thing is we, we one of the ways we see this the clearest is with music right songs we listen to over and over and over and over and over again because we love them they're catchy they've got hooks we've been talking about that a little bit but but we cannot listen to a song for a decade this is my experience not listen to a song for a decade and then it comes on the radio and immediately every lyric comes back like from some deep recessed rut of our mind from nowhere and it's like wow I still remember every single line to that song I used to sing on the bus in year six Um, and we don't know where it came from but it's in there because we put it in there and we put it in there repetitiously and our goal with this series is that we would start the year by repeating some things from the word of God some truth that instead of repeating what we are hearing and listening to on the news and in social media and, and just what life communicates to us, you know, walk through the shopping centre and life is communicating things to you that we would get something from the Word of God, some truth, and we would make an intentional goal of making it repetitious enough in our mind, in our thinking, that it would begin to form a rut that would actually shape how we live. Right? I don't know about you, but I do not want to be a Christian whose repetition is marked by just church attendance, but repetition is marked by life-changing truth. There is a difference between, and this is not in my notes, and we're going to get to this this year. Man, this is so strong in my heart this year, but there is a difference between a disciple and an attendee. There is a difference between someone who is intentionally engaged in actually having their life shaped and changed and confronted by the Word of God and someone who shows up to Christian output. We can attend prayer meetings, we can attend church, we can attend small groups, we can do a lot of attendance and it does nothing in the shape of discipleship unless we want it to. Anyway, we're going to read out Psalm 122 today and it's going to be light and it's going to be fun. But that's where we're heading, right? That's where we're heading this year. It's going to be awesome. If you've missed a few weeks in our series, week one, our hook was this. It's not just me, it's we. It's not an I, but an us. All right? And then, and then Pastor Phil, we had a great message from Pastor Phil week two. Pastor 
Keith brought an incredible message last week, if you were here or watched it online. He gave us three hooks. Listen wisely, sing expectantly, and focus specifically. I love that. Rhyming with the, the E words on the end. I don't know, do you, do, who takes notes? Who takes notes? We need to increase the amount of hands that just went up, right? Like, there is, there, is, there is a whole lot of practical parts to take. Like, when you take notes, it's an act of repetition for your mind. When you're writing it back down, it's going in and going out again and going in and going out again. It's just helping you to form a rut. When you go back and read over your notes, it's another way to help increase that sense of repetition of what was that message about. It's, it's this idea of regurgitating and ruminating on the truth that God delivered. Like, like Sunday, Sunday is Revelation Day. Right, where, where, where as a pastor, as, a, as someone who's bringing the Word of God, we've been sitting with God and, and, and wrestling with the revelation that He wants to bring to His people, right? The rest of the week is your regurgitation and meditation, right? Revelation does not produce, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm way off track. Revelation does not produce disciples. It's the application of the revelation that produces disciples. I cannot apply God's Word for you. I can't do that. Sometimes I wish I could, honestly, but I can't, and you can't do it for me. Discipleship is an ownership pathway where we own our life change, where we own our relationship with God authentically and genuinely so that it changes us in ways that sometimes we don't want it to because we're not ready to be confronted with that side of ourselves. It's been real quiet. It's been real quiet. So let's pray. Jesus... We love you, and on our own, we don't always make great choices. But your grace is so amazing. It is completely sufficient, and you are completely consistent with us. You never leave us, you never abandon us, and you are constantly available to work in our lives, to change us, to renew us, to lift us up. And this morning, I pray that as we open up your word, we would be stirred and we would be encouraged. We would be lifted up and Lord, we would be challenged. And God, that we would leave this place with a revelation to ruminate on this week in our lives and allow you to start to shift some things in us that we would look different at the end of this year to how we began it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen online. Amen. Put it in the chat, all right? Fantastic. Put an amen in the chat. We've got to keep people engaged online. I know when I've watched online, sitting on the couch, it's very easy to, to disengage. But when you, when you participate, it helps you engage. It's very important. All right. I remember a moment in my life, um, some of you would know this season, it's the double income, no kids season. Who remembers double income, no kids? Who has intentionally wiped it from your mind so that you're not uh, dealing with some sense of disappointment sometimes? <laughs> Amen? Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's why we are told don't, not to look back, right, but to look forward. Uh-huh, yeah, all right. Um, but I remember the double income, no kids season. It was fantastic. Some of you knew me in that season. You know that uh, I've always been someone I like. I like fashion. I like dressing. I like labels. I know that, you know, that there's areas that God is challenging me in on those things. You don't need to. God's doing it. But, <laughs> but, then, but then, then Addison came along. He's our, he's our firstborn. He came along and Rach had to stop working, you know, and we made a plan for her to be able to have a substantial time off so that she could enjoy being mum. And really, uh, we really valued that. I love 
um, watching Rach be a mum and how she's flourished in that space. And we made some intentional decisions around that, but those intentional decisions had flow on, okay? That's a, that's a, that's a truth we need to realise as young adults is that every intentional decision will have flow on. Whether it's an intentional decision to take you that way, there'll be consequences. If it's to take you that way, there'll be consequences. Some are good, some are bad. Others are just what they are. And it's just called getting older and maturing and doing life. But, but we, we made some intentional decisions around work for Rach and that meant that we were no longer a double income, we were a single income and we were now no longer just satisfying our two selfish desires to eat out every night and wear what we wanted. We now had to think about a little baby. And I know uh, when that really changed for me and I remember distinctly because it was the first day that I went out and I needed new shoes. And new shoes to me normally meant, you know, all, all sorts of different things. Uh, uh, there were certain stores that I like to go to and, um, you know, I, I enjoyed spending some money on, on myself in that area. But when we had a child to think about, I, I, went, I went to a different shop and I bought a pair of shoes that are far different level of, of income required. I remember bringing those shoes home and, um, and I actually remember Rach got teary. I hope she's okay with me telling this story. That's actually a pretty rare occurrence. If you know us, I'm the emotional one. Um, she's the stable one in our relationship. But uh, yeah, I, 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 and she got teary and, and, and she got teary because she realised that for me, that was actually a really big level of sacrifice. For some of you, it's not even in the ballpark. But for me, that represented a significant sacrifice. That represented a shift in my thinking about putting my family before myself. About putting my family before myself. And the psalm that we're going to dive into today, and I've intentionally not read through it because I got off track. I'm trying to stick to time this year. But I'm just going to warn you, that's not happening this morning, okay? I got way too much. I got way too much to deliver this morning. But, but it, represented, it represented this shift in me where I had a perspective of my family first over myself. And the psalm that we're about to read this morning carries that same tone. It's the tone of us over I. And it's really important in Scripture... It's really important in Scripture, and if I had more time, I'd do a demonstration of this. But, but often what we want to do with Scripture is we want to sling ourselves to one side of truth, right? We, 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 we want to swing the pendulum, and, and we, want to, we, we get a revelation on truth, and we go, well, it's all over here, right? It's all over here. Or, 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 or it's all, sorry, camera people, it's all over here. But the reality of Scripture is that if we read it enough and we dive deep enough, what we find is that Scripture actually often holds a tension. It holds attention, and where we're supposed to try to live and navigate is, is to be drawn this way a little bit and this way a little bit, but overall to remain in the middle of that tension, recognizing that truth is both that and that. And we don't always like that, but, but Pastor Keith used to term it with this, this term, and I love it, and, and it means a lot, it's got a lot of depth to it, but it's simple, it's the both and. It's the both and, right? We live in the now and the not yet, that's the tension, because it's both and. We are now a new creation, uh, we are now saved, yet we are being saved, there is a now and a not yet, there is a both and an and, and it is both true, and yet how? Tension of Scripture. And so we've got to understand that when we read a psalm like this, I am intentionally this morning trying to nudge you a little bit this way, but I'm not saying we should live all the way over here. There is a both and 
to what I'm, what I'm going to talk about this morning, and I'm, I'm, I just want to let you know I'm not going to speak so much about the and, but I'm going to speak about this site. Okay, just I need to context that for you so you don't think that I'm, that I'm, that I'm saying things I'm not. So Psalm 122, it starts off like this. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. What you will find throughout this psalm is that there is an eye reflection of what I means in the us, is influenced by the us, but, but the focus is not on the I, the focus is on the us, okay? And so I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Can I ask you a question? What is your response to Sunday. When you get to Saturday, now I know what all of your response is because you're all here. And I love you online and, and we intentionally have online for those that can't be here. But there is always going to be something about being in the physical proximity of the people of God that we just can't translate online. We love online and in this season in particular, it has huge value. But I wonder when Saturday afternoon rolls around or when you see an Instagram post from our church or a notification on the app, if you haven't got the app, get the app. But if you get a notification pop up and you know it's us telling you Sunday is going to be awesome, what is your response not what is your response outwardly perhaps but what is your response in your heart because we can fake stuff on the outside I'm not saying Julie's doing that but but we can fake stuff on the outside we can fake it in fact we can we can even get to church and we can fake our attitude because we know what to say when to say to make it sound like we don't have an attitude even though we're harboring an attitude because we don't want to go below the surface because that would be too difficult to deal with but the question has to be asked what is our response to coming together as the people of God because the psalmist here says, well, I was glad. And you know what? It's, it's okay for that not to be your always, as long as you ask yourself why it's not in those moments. Sometimes life is just really difficult. Sometimes you're wrestling with some stuff. Sometimes it's, it's been a really tough week and you don't want to go to church. Like, like It's okay to have those moments as long as you are uh, 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 real enough with yourself as to why and you take that to Jesus. Perspective creates posture. How do you perceive the gathered people of God? How do you perceive church? You will not posture yourself with gladness if you don't enjoy church. If you don't enjoy getting together with this group of people, then it's not going to generate a posture in you of gladness. That's just, that's just truth. It's okay. But I tell you what, if we can perceive the value, the beauty, the wonder, the amazement, if we can remind ourselves of the times that we have been just caught up in worship or, or, or had a moment where we've been ministered to or had a great conversation out in the foyer, pre or post service where there's been value in coming together and you're like, actually, you know what? Church is great. Church is fantastic. I love going to church. If you tell yourself those things, you will posture yourself in a position that gives you the greatest chance to respond with, you know, actually, I'm excited about church on Sunday. I'm excited about coming back together. I'm excited about this year as we come out of a season that forced us to be disconnected. We get to choose to reconnect. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about this room being filled again with everybody who is pumped about being in the house of God, not because of a great activity that we have ticked off as a goal, but because of why we are here and what church is actually all about. And, and and we're going to get on to that in a little bit, but it says, and now here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Here we are. We're here. 
Has your gladness translated? Were you glad on Friday, but Saturday, Sunday morning you woke up and the kids wanted a really difficult breakfast and so now you're frustrated and now you're annoyed? Did your gladness translate? Were you glad before you got here, but then you saw that person that you really need to have the conversation of forgiveness about and it's grating on you and you're really wrestling with that with the Holy Spirit? Did you have a fight with your spouse in the car? It's a bit of a classic for, for Rachel and I sometimes. Here we are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. You know, like Jerusalem is mentioned a little bit in, in this scripture. I want to pull some stuff out just for a little bit. But Jerusalem, obviously, physically, was physical Jerusalem in the Old Testament. When, when, when the psalmist is writing this psalm, it's one of the psalms of ascent. It's, it, it's sung on the pilgrimage that, that the, the tribes of Israel would do on their journey, particularly, um, this, the, the, you know, particularly actually all of the men would sing this. Let's just take a moment there to just... All of the men would sing. All of the men would demonstrate what it looks like to worship. I want a church where the men know how to worship. Where worship is masculine. It's bold. Not because I don't at all value Women and their worship, I love that. But I'm telling you, there is something that comes when men know how to worship their God as their king, the one who they would follow, the one who they give their life for the cause of the kingdom of God. There is something. And they would sing it as they pilgrimaged to Jerusalem for three festivals. There were three key festivals at the time that this was written, right? And, and it was a journey, it was a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they would sing this psalm as they went up. And they arrived and they're like, here we are, we're standing in your gates. But we don't have physical Jerusalem anymore, right? Like we're not, we're not heading over to Israel, okay? That's not, that's not what we're called to. But for, for us, when we read this, we've got to understand that, that Jerusalem is now a spiritual Jerusalem. There is, a, there, is a, there, is a, there is still a Jerusalem, but it's a spiritual Jerusalem. And in this context, Jerusalem for us, is, is, it's a type of the gospel church. It's us, right? It, it, it's as we choose to gather together, we become that spiritual place of the gathered people of God, which was Jerusalem. Okay, and so we've got, when we read this, we're reading about the gathering of God's people. We're reading about the church. We're reading about us right now in this place where we choose to gather. We're reading about our gathering online where people are gathering together as the people of God to worship Him. And it says, you know what? This is what it says about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. That's a prophetic declaration over the church. The church is well-built. What does that mean? It means that God's invested God's in it. God's not building this shabby. God's building this thing well. God's positioning the right people at the right time in the right places to ensure that you don't have a wall that's slightly off center. No, we've got great people being built up in the spirit, being built up into Christ, right? We are being built up and this church, our church, can't speak for others, but our church, our church is well built. Our church is built on a strong foundation. We're 76 years into this church. We've had 25 years of incredible leadership under Pastor Keith and Janet. We are a well-built church. We are a well-built community. 
We've got strong walls on a strong foundation. We've got people like our sound production worship teams who are here at like close to 6 a.m., something like that. I might be exaggerating slightly, but I know it's early. It was before I got here this morning. And they have served week in and week out over this whole series, these last 18 months, bringing an online broadcast. Most of us are at home. They're serving. That's a well-built wall. We have got people, remember, remember when we talk about a wall, we're talking about stones, living stones that are built together. We've got, we've got well-built walls in this place. It says it's seamless. Seamless speaks of unity. Seamless speaks of the fact that we are united. There's not separation between us. It doesn't mean that we agree on every nuance, of, uh, uh, but, we, but we're united. We're united. Scripture tells us to protect the unity of the Spirit. There's no cracks. Why? Because we don't allow offence to fester. We don't allow offence to crack between us. We don't allow unforgiveness to separate. I had to look at my, I had to look at my writing there. I was like, well, I can't read my writing. We don't allow unforgiveness to pull us apart. We're seamless. When we recognise that there is a hole in the wall, we fill it. We fill it. We don't sit back and go, oh, there's a hole in that wall. No, we're proactive in ensuring that it's seamless. It goes on. Lastly, it says it cannot be breached. It cannot be breached. Why? Because together we ensure it can't. Because we are committed to the solidity of this community over just ourselves. Because a scattered set of bricks on the ground might still be whole bricks, but that wall is broken. And that's where the enemy can be breached. So sometimes it's not about how good a brick I am. It's about how intentional I am about ensuring that the wall I'm a part of is strong and cannot be breached. I might only get to verse 3 this morning. We'll see how we go. Why can't it be breached? Because we're about each other. It's because we're about each other. And we're about the hole over myself. So when I see holes in, in teams that make this what it is, I'm there. I'm there. I'm thinking about how I, can, how I can be there more so than just how I can have a cruisy service. Because I'm about, I'm about the strength of the community. I'm about, remember I said I'm over here, all right? I'm over here on the tension, okay? So there is, there is value in, 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 in elements of yourself and self Development, yes, but remember this message, I'm over here, okay, I'm going to point this way a little bit. We are about each other over ourselves. I could give you a number of New Testament references where Paul, in almost every one of the letters he writes to, to, to these brand new churches, right? You've got to remember, Paul's writing to brand new churches. He's forming church thinking. How should these communities think about being a church? What does it mean? How do I do it? What does it look like? And Paul, in almost all of his letters to these brand new churches, emphasizes one thing in a lot of them. Why? Because it is critical and crucial to the, the, the formation of the community being healthy and accurate. He, thought, he says this in his letter in the Corinthians, the Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, right? Like if you want to tick off Paul's, like, Paul's power places, right? Like there you go. And in all of them, he references the reality of the community being a body. 
and that every part has a place in the body. He talks about the unity and how actually we all have different gifts, but those different gifts are for the benefit, not of you, not so that you would feel great about your gift and how good are you. No, but that the body would be whole, that glory would be seen in the church not just on an individual's life, right? So Paul emphasizes this reality that the community is more valuable and important than the self constantly in his form- formative letters to early church communities. Why? Because he's like, listen, you've got to get this. You've got to get this or you will see the church as something just for you. You will approach it as, what do I get? What am I getting out of this? This is about me and my experience. No, this is about what we create with our gifts and our passions and what God has put on our life. I cannot be the church. You are the church. Joel cannot be the church. He's a great worship director. He's gifted and skilled in that space. But there are so many places in the wall that God is trying to position living stones so that we would form the whole body that he is building. And I would go as far as to say that there is not a single person that God positions into a church community that does not find a place in a wall of that Jerusalem. Every person has something on their life for the church. Yes, Yes, we have callings outside of these four walls, but as Jerusalem, as the community, as the body, we all have something for this. This being our Jerusalem, our gathering, our place where we all come, not for the benefit of ourselves, not to say, oh, I was awesome. No, if you read on, there's a very clear reason why we do what we do. It says, all the tribes of Israel, all the tribes of Israel, all the Lord's people, every single person makes their pilgrimage here. Now, I'm not saying that, that you should set up a rule in your life that you don't miss a Sunday. Honestly, that's probably unhealthy. You've got to have a holiday. You need rhythm, right? There's Sabbath, work, Sabbath, there's rhythm. So rest. But let's not think that going to church should always be easy either. Let's not think that we should always feel like coming to the house of God. David says it's a pilgrimage. What's a pilgrimage? Number one, it's intentional. It's a decision you've already made. I'm doing this. I'm doing this journey. As a family, we're making a pilgrimage to the house of God. We're not going to miss it unless we're around holidays and then I'll be sitting by a pool. Because coming to the house of God is not my relationship with Jesus. Coming to the house of God is because of my relationship with Jesus. And so because I have that, I make the pilgrimage. Because I have that, I value the pilgrimage even when it's difficult. Because I have that, I'm intentional. I'm deliberate. Even when it's difficult, even when the journey to the house of God seems tough and difficult, I've already decided that's a pilgrimage, but I'm doing it. Why? Because I have a relationship with God and because the house of God is not about me, it's about Him. It says here, they make their pilgrimage. They come here. Why? This is very important. Why do they make a pilgrimage? Why do they journey? Why do they go to Jerusalem? Why? They come to give thanks to the Lord God. Now, in those days, the the law required it. 
And these days we're in a new covenant, we have relationship free, the, 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 the curtain's torn, boldly we can come in. But you know what? The purpose doesn't change. We do not come to the house of God because I get some benefit from it. Can I tell you that leans into a consumeristic Christianity where we love the church when we get what we want from it. Oh, I got the, I got the buzzers today. You might, awesome, but that's not why you come. That's not why you gather. That's not why we as a whole gather. We as a whole gather to give thanks. We as a whole gather to point all of us towards our Saviour, our Jesus. We gather because we have had a moment in our lives where we have been found by Him. We were lost, but now we are found. Where I was lost in sin, now I've been saved and set free. I am forgiven. That's why I come. I come because I have a moment with the rest of us who have also all been found in Christ, where together we raise as one and give thanks to our God for who He is and what He's done. That's what church is. It is a celebration of our salvation. It's not some shop that I go to to get what I want in my life. It's a place I go to give out of what God has already placed in my life. Sorry, I'm getting to be carried away. But you know what? That's why, that's why last year when we rolled out this term, the temple, we called it a party in a home. And I know that term, you know, Pastor Keith used to say, let it, let it offend your mind before it gets to your heart. Because a party is a celebration and a home is a place of family gathering. And so what we're trying to describe, we're trying to describe a place where the family gathers to celebrate the fact that we've been found. All of us. And you know what? Sometimes there will be people we bring into that celebration so they can experience what, it like, what it's like for, for, for a whole crowd of people to celebrate Jesus. Knowing that probably in that space, Jesus is gonna speak to them about the fact that they're lost and they need Him. And so he goes on to say, you know, here stands the thrones of judgment. I'm gonna go very quickly now. Here stands the thrones of judgment. That's the, that's the judgment seat. It's the place in which justice was administered. And so when we come to the house of God, we're reminded that in this place, judgment has been administered onto the person of Jesus. And the judgment that we see in this place now is that we are forgiven. We're forgiven. us when we gather in the house of God, we're reminded of our status. We're reminded of the fact that we're forgiven. It says, here, here stands the thrones, blah, blah. Verse six, pray for the peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. Pray for the church, the organisational side, but also pray for this, this, the people, the community, the gathered people of God. Pray for that. Pray that it would grow and expand. Pray that it would thrive. Pray that it would be healthy. Pray that, pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on His people. Pray for the house of God and all who love it will prosper. I love that promise. Maybe you don't like hold on to that promise. If you're looking for a promise for your year, let that be your promise and be like, hey God, I love your house. And your word says that those who love your house are gonna prosper. So Lord, I'm believing for some, some prosperity in the area of my life this year. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's your workplace. I don't know, there'll be an area in your life. Absolutely, we all have them. But it starts prosperity and, and the, it, it, this promise in particular starts with the position of our heart towards His house. That those who love His house, they will prosper. Verse seven, it says, O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls, prosperity 
in your palaces. And this is where I'll land the plane, verse eight. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of all of you, may our church have peace within its walls. Like when that is our pursuit, when that is our priority, when we are seeking God for the peace of His gathered people, everyone who calls Victory Community, whether you're here today or you're watching online, when our focus is that God, let there be peace amongst our community. Let there be peace within this community. Let there be peace. May there be peace on this church. Not for me but for the sake of family and friends, for the sake of those who maybe aren't in community yet, that that the church would rise, that we would show the glory of God. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God. Here's Here's the clincher. Here's the verse that shifts us all the way that way on the truth spectrum. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek what is best for you. Oh, Jerusalem. I could spend a whole message on that. This COVID season we've been in has made us think about me so much. Me and I and my and what I want and what I need and what I'm going to do and I and me. And I don't want to get into it too much because we're coming out of the COVID season. And God says, don't look at the past, but look forward to the future, right? But we're coming out and we're coming back and all of those things. But can I tell you that sometimes we need to hear a scripture that calls us back to a place where we think about the community over me where we think about what is best for the house of God over what is best for me in the house of God, where we would think what is for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem, not just what sits well with me in a moment. And I wanna let you know that that applies to way more than just the season we've been through. And if you're uncomfortable applying to that, then don't apply to that, apply to another space in your life. And before you get too like, "Mm," about it, remember we're over here. Remember we're over here. Let me ask you a question. How do you filter decision-making? Does the house of God come into it? Does Does this community come into it? Does the impact on this community come into it? Because this Psalm reminds us that that should be in there. That should be in there. In fact, that should be quite high up in there, how we think about this community. So here we go. I'm gonna land it right now. This is my hook for you for this week. Pastor Darren's gonna finish our series out next week. It's gonna be fantastic, but here is my hook. Peace for you means peace for me too. Peace for you means peace for me too. Because you know what? If I'm a part of this community, I get to be in what is fostered in this community. And if we are praying for the peace in this community and I'm in it, there's a high chance I'm gonna find peace in me. It's a high chance I'm gonna find healing in me if I'm praying that this community would be healed and whole because it might be me that's causing it not to be and Jesus needs to work in me. So if you're watching online, why don't you put that hook in the chat? Peace for you means peace for me too.